0: Welcome back to the Strength and Speed podcast. I'm your host, Strength and Speed owner, and Mudgear Battle Alliance Pro, Evan Preparis. I got a guest with me online. Before we get to him, though, a quick word from this episode's sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Eggweights. If you're not familiar with Eggweights, they're essentially small weights that you run with. It kind of works your arms at the same time. It works some of your cardio. And then I've also been using them for some cross training. So some martial arts and punching type stuff. Uh, Just kind of give the arms a good workout. And they're small, really easy to travel with. They come in a little bag. Uh, Good stuff. If you head over to the Mudgear Battle Alliance protein page, you can uh, find a discount link in the sponsors and discount section on there. And before we get to our guests, another quick thing before, because I know I'm going to forget at the end one, make sure you head over and vote at OCR buddy. They are having a uh, best of the community awards, best of OCR. So make sure you vote. There's a small race series, you know, definitely give battle of lines a shout out on there. And then for the Eastern hemisphere race, definitely give Hannibal race a shout out. Uh, give them a vote, please. Cause they have been a big supporter of, Strength and Speed, they've been a big supporter of you know, OCR World Championships and one of the only qualifiers in the Middle East. So definitely head over and vote for Hannibal Race. And then finally, uh, Mythic Race, head over and like their page. They're doing a contest right now where you make a donation to a charity, and then you get entered to win an OCR Dream Pass. It's like 10 different races or something insane. Um, so you can donate, you know, it's like 5 bucks or something, and then you have a shot at winning – some insane number of entries to races in uh, 2022. So definitely check that out. It's for a good cause. All right, let's bring out our guest. I've had him on the podcast once before. He's an Army Ranger, his uh, good friend, now a official world champion because he just won Spartan Ultra World Championships 24. Mark Odette, welcome back.
1: Hey, thanks, Evan. Thanks for having me back. Uh, it's been a few months, but uh, good to be back with uh, back with you.
0: Yeah, yeah, and. Um, Kind of funny story, I actually ended up in the unit you used to be in and I name dropped you the other day and someone someone was like, Oh, I love Mark, get him to get him to come back here for a weekend. And I was like, all right, I'm I'm working on it. So we are working on it and uh hopefully we get it back to come back to the uh Manhattan, Kansas area again in the future. So we're gonna be talking about Spartan Ultra World Championships and we will also be talking about the Spartan World Championships. So a little cold weather mountain running, and then a little hot weather sand running. So let's start off with the Spartan Ultra World Championships. So tell me a little bit about uh, how that event went, and kind of what your thoughts were uh, going into it, and how it actually showed it out.
1: So um, as you may know, I I kind of hit uh, the Ultra World Championships in in Telluride, Colorado, um, mid mid uh, PCS or permanent change of station so mid army move so we we left Washington DC and we uh we hit um uh we hit the Spartan I think it's race number four of the US National Series in West Virginia uh in route uh so two cars spilled to the top all the kids loaded up and we stopped in West Virginia for a, a uh a race and then we continued on west Um, taking a few more days to get out to Colorado. Uh, so once I got out there, I had, I believe just about three weeks before I had to start work and, uh, three weeks to prepare for Telluride. So I, I got to train at altitude, um, for three weeks, really for the first time in my life. And, uh, and then my folks flew into town. My dad, uh, drove, made the trip out there with me and, uh, and yeah, we put in you know a good 24 hours of of work, and I think my experience paid off with a generally inexperienced field. Um, and I was able to run you know 24 hours of a clean race, which I think made a made a huge difference, and uh, just kept moving for 24 hours and, and ultimately prevailed.
0: So when you say 24 hours of a clean race, you're talking you did no penalties, or you just uh, just had a
1: really good race? You mean? So no penalties. Oh wow. Uh, throughout the entire race and then um i just ran, ran a very conservative race early uh which allowed me to i'm pretty sure i i mean if if you could somehow test this but i'm pretty sure i negative split the second half of that race
0: <laughs> nice nice well i mean that, that you know running a clean race uh especially an endurance race i think not only obviously from the obvious, you don't have to do penalties to make fast, but mentally, I know personally, like when I get a tough obstacle and I hit it over and over again, lap after lap, it like, I feel like it builds momentum. I just get this like emotional, like feeling of satisfaction. It's like, yes, I'm, you know, every second I'm moving is, is I'm gaining on people. So.
1: I'm- Absolutely. Yeah. And I think uh, with Spartan, especially about midway through each lap was the spear throw, um, which, you know, a little, it's got, quite a bit of skill involved there and, you know, it's less brute strength. So that was like a win, um, within each lap, you know, hitting that spear each time. That's insane.
0: (laughs) It's insane. You got that every lap.
1: Yeah. And then, as you know, like, uh, even generally simple obstacles kind of get hard as your, as your hands get worn out and, uh, and Spartan obstacles are, I think, hard, a little harder on the body than, than the, then the Tough mutter ones, like my hands were just demolished by the end of uh, of this race.
0: Yeah, right on. So th- you've done a uh, 12-hour toughest. Have, have you done World's Toughest too? I can't remember.
1: Well, I did in uh, – it was one of my yeah. very first obstacle races of all time. So I did the uh, 2018 in Atlanta. When okay, I, was-
0: I, I thought you were there, and I, I, but I didn't know you at the time, so I, I wasn't 100% positive. Um, and you came in top 10, correct?
1: I finished fourth.
0: Yep. Yeah. 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 I was, I was on the team division, so I wasn't paying too much attention to the individual one. So I knew you were, I knew you were up there. Yeah. Good stuff. So for our listeners, so 2018 for our listeners, that was the very cold year. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah. 2018 was the cold year. That was the year everything froze. So compare, you know, world's toughest to Spartan ultra 24 hour championships and telluride.
1: So, yeah, two very different races, and i was I was two very different athletes too, so that was my I think it might have been my second official o c r. race, second or third of all time, and I'd never done a tough mutter before, so I was very inexperienced. Um, I didn't have all the right equipment uh i was I wore a wetsuit for about 20 hours, and I was pretty much shivering. Um, and it was just pure grit that got me to that fourth place finish. I failed a lot of obstacles, did a lot of penalty loops, um, but the conditions were brutal just in and out of the water. I think mentally was was extremely difficult and um, a very different course in Telluride, so almost 2,000 feet of gain on each lap of a seven mile loop. And... We started 9,500 um, feet is where the, is where the uh, transitionary was. In each lap, we get up to, you know, over 11,000 uh, feet of elevation. And so you start to feel the elevation, um, especially as the race wore on. And then it was, it was cold, but um, probably about the same temperature as Atlanta. But the difference is we weren't in and out of the water. Um, and I think the other thing that really, uh, comes to mind is the, the way the carries just wear on you in Spartan versus, um, tough Mudder. like nothing. We never really had to pick anything heavy up, um, which makes things significantly easier. Every lap in, uh, in Telluride, we had a brutal bucket carry that, uh, just seemed to go on forever. And we'd have that thing on our shoulder for four to five minutes, every single lap, um and doing that you know 10 11 12 times uh just really wears down the the body so that was like the one obstacle i really uh didn't look forward to with each lap
0: gotcha any specific gear recommendations you used for the uh spartan ultra world championships and um if they differ from what you would use for a toughest or world toughest motor
1: uh yeah i'd say the biggest difference was my my shoe choice i i could really go with a less aggressive lug and a lot more cushioning and kind of one uh, rule of thumb that i do in in most ultra events i generally start in my least cushioned shoe and then work slowly work over the 24 hours into my most cushioned shoe um, and that, that was one thing that was quite a bit different in in atlanta a lot of those you know more cushioned hoka type shoes like just didn't do very well in that, in the, in and out of the water. And especially in the mud. Um, I just remember slipping and sliding around quite a bit in, in those shoes. So that was, was uh, was one thing I would recommend. Um, and then I think in, in Telluride, it was just the kind of the importance, like we've talked before. And uh, it's something we learned in the military is the importance of layering of, of having something warm. On your skin, like something with a, you know, I wore like a thin wool base layer, and then that uh, did pretty well throughout the day. And then as the night wore on, I had different layers of, of like windbreakers that like from super light to a little bit more that I just uh, went up with as the temperatures dropped.
0: Were there athletes wearing neoprene at um, Telluride or no?
1: No, I don't think I saw anyone wearing neoprene. Maybe a neoprene hat here and there, but nope, not nothing like the the Tough Mudder packing list. Now I I brought all of that stuff, but fortunately I did not need it. Gotcha.
0: Yeah, I mean that makes sense. So there was was there no water on? Like, did you not like, get wet at all on course? There was no water. Yep. Okay. No
1: water. So very yeah, that, more pleasant.
0: Yeah, that'll make a huge difference. That'll make a huge difference. You know, because. The neoprene is, I mean, it, we need it for the water, essentially. Um, I'm sure people are enjoying my New York accent also, side down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. So, awesome. So, super good race. When did you move? Um, you know, you know, you said you started out at a slower pace. I remember checking the leaderboard fairly early, and they were talking about uh, some of the other athletes. I know your name wasn't specifically mentioned. And I was like, no, nah, you got to give them time. And, um, you know, essentially when I woke up the next morning, it was like, you know, I I, ch- I checked a couple times and I saw you crossing the line first, so I was super excited. So when did you when did you start climbing up the ranks and when did you move into first throughout the race?
1: So I I was really in the top five from from the start to to finish. Um, but generally, you know, the the oftentimes is just like whoever's in the lead. So Miguel Medina went out um, ex- extremely fast and strong, and he looked very good um and i just you know kept telling myself i gotta find that pace that i can sustain throughout this is is a you know this isn't a 12-hour race it's a 24-hour race and i'd say about lap three i ended up um linking up with a a good buddy of mine tyler veerman and we just happened to kind of come out of the transitionary at the same time i think on lap two or three and uh just got chatting and got in got into a rhythm and the two of us kind of started picking up uh like we picked up uh whoever's in third place, probably by lap four, uh moved into second not too long after. And then we had a we were still back about twenty to thirty minutes on Miguel, who was just laying down an incredible pace. And uh mm-hmm. I told Tyler, let, let's make our move in the night. And so just to stay comfortable, if he can maintain that and hold us off, then he 100% deserves to win, but let's work together. And Tyler and I stayed together for, I mean, heck, the next, like, 18 hours. Oh, wow. And we caught Miguel about hour 16 or 17, and then really just separated from the field where – um, by lap, I think nine or 10, we already knew that we were, we were going to one, two this thing, um, which was a good feeling. And we, we talked throughout, like how we're going to, how we're going to deal um, with this when it comes down to the end. And Yeah. That was going to be my s- next
0: question. Yeah. Go for
1: it. Yeah. We decided that, um, we'll go until we realize that, um, we're going to have one lap left. And as we come into the transition area. It's just game on for that last lap. So that was the kind of the plan we we devised, I'd say, but on like lap six probably to eight somewhere in there. And uh, And then it just things kind of just didn't really play out that way. Um, I'm sure Spartan was really hoping for that. Um, But (laughs) I ended up ending up being the only one to do the the final lap 12. So kind of ah, okay. anti if you if you will. Yeah, yeah.
0: Gotcha. And did you know that he had not gone out for another lap? Or, yes. or wasn't going to make lap, it to the next lap?
1: Right on lap 10, I was like, all right, man, we got one more lap together. And then we're going to, you know, uh, we're going to go all out. And and uh, Tyler's like, I don't know, I, I might have just one more left in me. Oh, um, wow, but, yeah. Like, looking at the watch, I I was like, man, we we definitely have time for two. And he he was kind of at the point, um, like, physically, he was extremely strong. um, But he'd he'd never been here. He'd never done a 24-hour race. And I think he was, like, he had met his goals. Yeah, uh, gotcha. To that point, he'd gone farther than he'd ever gone. Um, You know, second place was locked up. And for me, you know, I'd been here many a time and I was like very much focused on winning this thing and I was ready to I was ready to throw down um so on lap 11 with probably about a mile or so left on the lap um, we're chatting and I said are you are you 100% committed to you know finishing after this lap and he said yep he said this is it for me and I said all right well I'm going to make this easier on a lot of us and I'm gonna like separate right now, and I like opened up, mm. came into the transition area, and I didn't even transition. I just kept going. Told my mom if I wanted, uh, my watch had died. I said I want my watch. I want my other watch, and I want uh, a pair of running gloves because I was wearing like some thick, um, thick work gloves I'd been wearing through the night. And I came in, and my dad was just waiting there with him, and I. I didn't even trade out water or anything. I just grabbed him, and I hightailed it out of there. To, to, and really, it was, one, to put the race away for my, for my own sake, and then also for Tyler, I knew if he came in anywhere close to me, like there was going to be a lot of pressure um, put on him by, um, you know, his pit, his family, whoever, to, like, get on the course and go race.
0: Gotcha, yeah.
1: That's so interesting. I, yeah, I just tried yeah. to put it away like um, right there at the end of lap 11 I was able to get a couple minutes on him and I knew if he had a change of heart or they forced him back out there like he wasn't able to to close that gap. Interesting
0: yeah that's a great story yeah I had not heard that I was not tracking that super interesting um, yeah you mentioned kind of you know setting out your goals and then you felt like you, I guess he felt like he had accomplished them so he you know, parts of his brain essentially start turning off. And uh, for some of our listeners, for um for me, for Tough Mudder, World's Toughest Mudder this year, it was the first time I went to the race, not thinking of it as a 24 hour race, but thinking of it as a 25 and a half hour race. And that helped me, I know mentally made it a lot easier because I was like, no, it's a 25 and a half hour race because that's how much extra room you play room you have at the end Um versus previous years when you hit the 24 hour mark. You know, it's, it's very easy to be like, all right, well, I have time for one more, but you know, I've already hit 24 hours, so.
1: Um. That's, that's a really, I think that's a great mindset to go into these races with. And now the it when I went out on lap 12, which is crazy because I went out at 23 or 22 and change. So right around 23 hours. Mm-hmm. Now it had to be 22 because <clears throat> they were, laps were taking a while. So I went out around 22 uh, miles on my last lap and i came in just right at just over 24 hours for my final time but on that last lap i saw two people that's it yeah i think a lot of people you know they i mean it was a very difficult race but uh you know we had the same thing we had you know that additional hour hour and a half on the back end um and it was it was kind of funny about 2 miles into the lap i caught up to an older gentleman and uh I said something to like, I'm glad to see, glad to see you out here. And he just, uh, like he said, hey, I signed up for a, a 24-hour race, not a 22-hour race. <laughs> I, thought that, I thought that was awesome. But it was me, that older gentleman, and then uh, Josh Fiore, who needed the 11th lap. It was his 11th lap. He needed one more to, to uh, lock up that third podium spot. Gotcha. Which was wild. Yeah. So I think most of us do go in with that twenty four hour mindset and maybe it is better to go in with that uh a twenty five hour.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought it was mentally, um, as we approached the twenty four hour mark, uh, mentally I felt much better because I was like, well, no, I have I know I have time for two more laps at this point, you know. Um, you know, I I don't remember what the time was, whatever. But you know. Yeah, it just it made the decision to go out again easier, um, you know. Even though I had because I, you know, in Tough Mudder once it's like after eight a.m. or something, you essentially you can stop and be considered an official finisher. So, right. All right, so that's Spartan Ultra World Championships. Um, again, congrats! Super awesome. Thank you. Let's talk about, switch to the other side of the spectrum. You got to go to Abu Dhabi for the Spartan World Championships held in the Middle East this year, which I was um, very tempted to go to. Uh, and it, it almost happened, but uh didn't quite, didn't quite pan out that way. So tell me a little bit about that experience.
1: So I had a, a five weeks post uh, Telluride to get ready for... Um, Abu Dhabi, and I, I honestly didn't know I was going to be able to get to Abu Dhabi until um, the day before Thanksgiving, and I so on a Wednesday night I found out, and I flew out early the next week. Um, So just I found it a few days before I flew, and that Um, that was a
0: military holdup, right? They were uh, you were waiting for something to get approved, correct?
1: So currently uh, there is. No uh, uh, personal travel allowed into the CENTCOM area of responsibility right now. Oh, my goodness. I needed an exception to policy. uh, And it just so happened that uh, when I looked up who was the approving authority for the trip, it was a mentor of mine who I knew from actually from back my time at Fort Riley. Um, So I was able to reach out straight to him. And he signed it immediately, whereas this was taken three to four weeks, um, <clears throat> with most of them being denied at this point. So I was, I was very fortunate. Um, but coming out of Telluride, you know, a 24-hour race beats you down uh, pretty good. And uh, the Army beats you down pretty good, too. So I finished the uh, race in Telluride, uh, went to the award ceremony that night, and the next day I drove back. And I signed in to Fort Carson the next day. (laughs) Nice. So, um, and my welcome to Fort Carson was a nice little three-week field problem, uh, field exercise. um, With really two of those weeks being very um, intense where I was on the, I was working reverse cycle. So, I was working generally like a 7 p.m. to a, 10 a.m. each day for two weeks so on one hand not ideal for any type of preparation to get ready to go race in the desert Um, however it forced me to kind of recover and take the two weeks off I think I ran I think I was able to sneak in about 20 mile weeks Um, those next uh two out of the next three weeks after um telluride so i i rec- recovered pretty well but then i only had two weeks to get ready for uh um really two good solid training weeks before i had to you know taper down to the uh to the race so i i did a i think i did a 40 mile week and a 50 mile week and that's that's the preparation i had <clears throat> and i Went to work on uh, Tuesday morning um, and left immediately from work and flew to Chicago uh, Tuesday. I think I left, yeah, Tuesday afternoon. And then I flew out of Chicago into Turkey. And then uh, from Turkey, I flew into uh, the UAE, and I arrived actually Thursday morning. So I leave Tuesday from the States arrive Thursday morning and the race was on Friday, which was not ideal. Um <laughs> so I, I get in I get in early morning on uh uh Thursday, I get a few hours of sleep in the hotel in Abu Dhabi and then we have about a two and a half to three hour drive out to the venue which was in you know the sand dunes. So a summer, quick summer. question
0: you know like when uh, so I haven't been to Abu Dhabi, I've been to Dubai, but basically du- Dubai, there's a city and you literally drive to the city limits and there's just sand dunes. So why was the race s- two hours outside of Abu Dhabi instead of like 10 minutes outside of Abu Dhabi? I guess that's what I didn't understand. Like what was special about that piece of land? Can you, it, could you tell?
1: So we, we were saying that the entire drive out, like why couldn't we just have the race here? Um, but once we got to the venue we could see i mean it was got the uh the morib dune which is the largest dune in uh the uae was really like the focal point of the race so we we ran up it and down it uh during the race and that's kind of that that epic photo ah okay um, with the spear throw with the monster dune in the background um so there were some just like gnarly gnarly uh sand dune climbs that that we had had, that i'd never done anything like in my life um so i think they just wanted that that really like um you know monumental or like epic hill in the race
0: yeah because it for for the uae it's a it's a spectacle and it's a it's a selling point right so they're showcasing their you know their gigantic the uae's been big on like we have the biggest insert anything right you know Dubai has the tallest tower they have the largest pane of glass in their aquarium indoors they have an indoor ski mountain right they're um yeah you know, it's it's part of their their allure uh, for their tourist uh, business gotcha
1: yeah and I think they also had the the largest like sand dune rally of all time the night before the race Ah I gotcha <laughs> so we happened sure. to the race happened to fall on the, like the 50th anniversary of the unification of the Emirates. So for them oh, you know, cool. beca- to become the UAE. So it was a huge national holiday for like, so for that entire week, basically no one was working in the country and everyone's out celebrating. And it just so happens that, um, out there in the Leewood desert at the Mori uh, dunes, is a huge pastime in that country for people to load up in their, their four wheel drive vehicles and, you know, go dune bashing. Well, they weren't happy that there were these, <laughs> you know, all these people crashed in these tents um, right there in their, uh, their playground. And they all night long were just, just thousands of these vehicles just driving around our tents. And it really went all night long until about four or five in the morning, uh, which was, which was just wild. Um, (laughs) it was, it was, uh, something I'd like never seen before, but thousands of cars crawling over these dunes and revving their engines and just burning out and drifting. And it was crazy. It was like a, an all night party and there were food trucks everywhere. And just a lot of noise. We were, we were sleeping in, uh, these, uh, these like pop up tents that had uh, like a carpet floor and you know like a a bed that you would see at like uh you know like ntc at fort irwin or something you know yeah <laughs> or like a transient tent in afghanistan yeah yeah
0: they, they it's it's camping but it's it's not quite glamping but it's it's a step up from normal camping
1: it's yeah yeah a yeah. step so that was, uh, we stayed in the tent for the night before the race, and I woke up on Friday morning <clears throat> just feeling extremely jet lagged, and um, my legs had like zero vascularity in them. That was like the first thing I noticed is I think with just the, the 30 hours of travel, mm-hmm. Um, and just being, you know, jammed into the plane, my I think the the blood had just pooled in my legs, and so I did a a, a quick shakeout run on um, what was that? Yeah, Thursday evening, and then again on Friday morning before the race, and just testing out all the different equipment. <clears throat> and I soon realized that I was not prepared with the right equipment for this race. Um, most notably being your standard gator uh was not going to be enough in this in this fine sand so um since we were racing friday afternoon i took i did the best i could i took duct tape and my uh my standard gator and i tried to sandproof my my shoe as much as possible and tape my gator to my shoe uh, which which works for about the first 2 miles of the race. I love um, it. You
0: you sound like someone who's brand new to OCR. He's putting the duct tape on their shoes. And Yeah. And like, just just like we just like the newbies at OCR, it usually doesn't last the whole race.
1: No, it was a completely desperate move and I was not the only one to do this. Um but it was very evident who had been there for weeks or who had been there for at least a week to train mm. um in this in this terrain. So the gaiters that I used, I had, I had used out here in some in very sandy areas where I could submerge my entire foot and I was having no issues. And it was, the sand was coarse enough that it wouldn't penetrate, um, the shoes I was wearing, um, especially with my gaiters on. However, it was so fine. It was like that moon dust. Yeah.
0: Iraqi moon dust.
1: Yep. That, uh, it just found its way in. So the people who, who didn't have the issue, they, for one, had uh, uh, desert gaiters, which cover your entire shoe.
0: Uh, interesting. And just,
1: just having a desert gaiter wasn't enough either. You then had to either hot glue gun, super glue, or sew the, uh, the gaiter to the shoe to make it basically like the shoe and the gaiter as one. Oh, weird. Um and that's what you see with a lot of the the guys who had been there for
0: So is um, that is that what Atkins had?
1: That's what Atkins had. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um so anyone that was there for like more than a day had had figured that out, but um duct tape was the best I could do. Yeah. <laughs> so about two to three miles in, uh the tape, you know, gets filled with with sand and, and comes off and we ran down a very steep dune where you end up in sand like about up to your calf and it was right down to the bucket carry and right when I got to the bottom of the hill I just knew it was going to be a long you know remaining 10 11 miles and I ran some of the most painful miles of my life wearing shoes that just felt like they were two sizes too small uh the rest of the race like i felt i felt pretty good uh given the the circumstances and i i kind of slowly made my way up the field and uh finished 14th in a in a very very deep strong um international field
0: yeah i mean that's a that's a great finish especially i mean you ran the 24 hour race a month before like like there's it takes more than a month, especially when you're competing at that level to really come back and uh, throw down again. So uh, that's still a great finish. I'm still, I'm still impressed. That's, that's a phenomenal.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. It was a little disappointing because generally um, like the Americans, we, we really dominate the, the world championship races. And I think if you look back at 2019 and Tahoe, probably like, there's probably 12 or 13 or f- Americans in the top 20. Um, and that was like, not the case. There was two Americans in the top 20, um, this year. And, um, but it was a, it was an extremely deep field, way deeper than we've seen in Tahoe in the past. Uh, and it was really cool as we saw, I want to say 12 or 13 different countries in the top 20. That is cool. I always it's, like uh, that. Yeah. Just, just super cool to be, to hear in all the different languages and uh, seeing all the sponsors that you don't see elsewhere. And just to see that the sport is growing, you know, beyond, beyond the States, which is, which is awesome. Yeah. And I,
0: I like, I like that Spartan held it overseas. I think that's a cool touch there. And, um, I, you know, I, as people on my podcast know, I've been a big fan of the Hannibal race for a long time. And, um, I've really enjoyed the couple trips I've taken over there to run their series. So, you know, I, not a huge, I, I don't particularly like Spartans that much, but, uh, I actually, I did strongly consider flying over for, uh, the world championships just cause I thought it would be like a very unique experience. And, um, I hadn't been to Abu Dhabi yet, but I'd been to other parts of UAE. So, um, and you, it was funny as you mentioned that moon dust, I was just, I was just, uh, giving one of my friends like a quick kind of rundown on some first aid stuff the other day. And I took out the, I have like a little army first aid kit that I keep in my car and I mm-hmm. took it out and I pull out the tourniquet and like dust, dust goes shooting out. And I was like, right. that, I was like, that's Iraqi dust. I was like, I haven't, I haven't touched this in a while, <laughs> but it, it was still, you know, I, you know, I, I, that, that particular first aid kit hadn't been to Iraq in, I don't know, 10 years, more, more than 10, more than 10 years. And it was still, it was still on there, like still stuck in, you know, random nooks and crannies there in, in the first uh, on the tourniquet.
1: But. Yeah, you can, I don't think you can ever really get rid of that stuff. Um, it just just appears in every bag and shoe and, um, yeah. Yes. so we, fine, so fine. Yeah, well, you might get your chance next year. Um, the rumor is they're going to go back to the, to the UAE next year. Oh, really? Um, but host it in a a different part of the country. Yeah, I can see that. Maybe move closer to Dubai. Yeah, maybe something. I think they were talking like out of the dunes, but I mean, I everywhere I looked, it, it looked like a sand dune to me. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I know. So when
0: we went to Dubai, we we did do a sand dune tour where again we got to ride in those sand buggies and someone drove us around at a you know aggressive speed. Where I questioned my safety, but that's all right. It was still fun. Uh, but I know uh, Ashley Samples and Dustin have been over to the UAE for uh, Wadi Adventure Race, which is uh, OCR in the middle of the desert. So who knows? Who yeah, knows?
1: A, I guess they said uh, there is a, a a region in the country that has some some woodlands and some mountains. Really? So I'm not sure what part of UAE that is, but I've never. Uh, Mm. That was pretty interesting to see.
0: So when we were going to Kuwait, we looked at a hydrology map of Kuwait, and it's my favorite because it's just one color. Because there's there's no <laughs> fresh water. It's yeah. just it's just one color map, and you're like there there's no it's like oh there's no fresh water. That's why so, <laughs> it's all uh, it's all from the ocean there. All right, let's jump over to what do you got planned for twenty twenty two? Get my year right here
1: yeah so so right now i I don't have anything on like on the calendar other than uh really the first couple months of the year i'm i'm gonna do a trail series out here like january february um out here in uh Colorado springs and that's really running anywhere from about like a i think it's about an eight k up to like a twenty five k and just it's in the mountains and that's really just gonna be some base building uh, type type race work, and then I'm gonna prep for Jacksonville, so race one of the U.S. National Series for Spartan again. Um, and then I think most of my A races are gonna be late late in the season. I'm gonna I'm gonna see where the Spartan Ultra World Championship falls again, and um, and then I'm really eyeing a return to to World's Toughest mutter. Uh, I think going to Florida would be a lot of fun, and I definitely, you know, was was quite jealous of watching you guys uh, out there in in Laughlin. It looked like a lot of fun, and um, I really want to, I really want to get that orange jacket. You know, just, <laughs> uh, just a personal goal. I want to, I want to go hit a hundred miles at yeah. uh, at a world's toughest mutter and. Um, but yeah, I think I'll probably do the, the Spartan U S national series again. And, uh, and then I think lastly is, well, I, at the time I was like, I don't know if I really would, would want to go back to the UAE, especially on the, the travel schedule that I was on. Cause it was like 60 hours of travel and 60 hours on the ground. It was, yeah. it was very, very tight. Um, and I would try to do things differently, but I kind of it kind of lit a fire uh, to get back out there and race against that international field again um, because I know I know I'm better than 14th and uh, and I also we this one thing I forgot to mention is we we raced a a team relay in there and uh, Team USA was a little banged up uh, with with Logan was sick and and Annie Doobie who finished second in the women's race was was a little injured Uh, so we put a team together and we we led for about 75 percent of the race but uh the the french the russians and the canadians eventually took us in the final leg um so we were left off the podium and you know i'd I'd really like to get back and do that that team event again as well so i think um world's toughest mutter Spartan Ultra World Championship, if it works out, depending how close they are. US National Series for Spartan and the Spartan World Championships um, back in the UAE if if I can race against that field again.
0: Real quick for our listeners, how do they do the team event for Spartan World Championships?
1: Uh, so really interesting format. It's so it was a it was a three three person. Um, team and you had to have one at least one female so some teams elected to have two females and then you can any any team member can run any leg so we were one of the few teams that i ran the first leg Uh, so most teams had their female run the first leg so it was a two mile leg it had the fewest obstacles it had some pretty gnarly terrain um, but it also had the most runnable section. So our idea was to try to jump out to a, a big enough lead in, in the runnable terrain with the fewer obstacles that we could build up a, a lead and then hang on um, late. So we, I ran first. And then the second leg was the longest leg. And it had, the, it had two carries in it. So we went with, uh, with David Magida who announced the race the day before, but he was the only one fresh. So we felt like, you know, he's got some, he's got the legs and then he's, he's a bigger, stronger guy. So he can beast the two carries. And, uh, and then the final leg, uh, Alex Walker, she took a final leg, which had the spear throw, which she felt confident in. And it was the shortest leg. It was about 1.8 miles. So and it had like a really technical section and then a very steep descent uh, down into the final stretch. So we like looking back, we, we probably miscalculated and I probably should have done the second leg, which was the longest leg. <laughs> but uh, the way the race uh, played out is we had about a two minute and 30 or two minute and 40 second lead um, after the first leg on the canadian team and we had i mean i think we had almost four to five minutes on on the uh the french and after we passed off the second leg we had about a 40 second lead on the um on the who was it uh the french yeah and then the uh, Russians and the Canadians weren't too far back, but they were handing off to their, you know, their their top athletes for the last leg. And so we put out, we didn't give Alex a big enough, a big enough gap, and and they uh, they swallowed her up uh, that final leg. So we led for most of the race, um, but the a lot of the teams closed with their strongest athletes, which which was a tough spot to put her in gotcha. Well,
0: it still sounds like a fun event and a uh, fun way to end the weekend after a uh, busy, busy, very busy weekend for, for the two, both ultra world championships and for sport world championships. Did they debut anything new, right? Like I know world's toughest. They'll debut no, new obstacles or this year their theme was like mashups. Did they debut anything new? Is it more like this, you know, what makes this event so special is one, the level of competition and two, the uh, terrain and venue uh, and they're they're using
1: yeah so really as far as obstacles there was nothing there's nothing new in in Telluride I think they're really debuting just the something at that altitude yeah that is is impressive yeah and it was also like the most I'd never been out um, to that area I knew I'd seen like Breckenridge and Vail and Aspen kind of some of the the more touristy areas. And I was like, man, this is beautiful. Well, Telluride just like puts those places to shame. And I, I couldn't believe, it. I felt like I was in like the Swiss Alps out there. It was the views were like nothing I'd ever seen before. It was insane. Um, and then in Abu Dhabi, it's hard to say what they had planned because usually they do throw some wrinkles in and they had, they had some interesting configurations on the rig and um in the final rig there where it was like a uh it was like monkey bars to to a twister to rings like you know it was a little bit different but nothing nothing crazy um but but spartan also their obstacles didn't make it into into the region they got caught at some port oh my goodness and, uh, they had to go like last minute um rent obstacles from I think Spartan Arabia. Um so when when we got on the course, the uh the kit was was just like a little off like uh it was the old surfaces so on on like Olympus which is the uh the one where you move like laterally across with like the hand holds, um which Spartans made significantly more difficult over the years like in the States. It was like the old version where it was like less steep. And it was made of wood, so really the obstacles were easier uh, than normal for the. And everything was dry in the desert. So yeah. Th- other than the other than the spear, there's really nothing failable. Gotcha. Um, yeah, yeah, that's so,
0: that's so tricky. You know, you you hear, you see all these like international races and uh, countries going overseas, and there's just so much logistical and backside stuff that makes it a little bit of a nightmare when you're trying to do a, a race in multiple countries um that uh yeah it, it's a lot more complicated than i think most of us take uh you know at first
1: glance realize so absolutely and and as a as someone you know we both spent a lot of time in the in the middle east I was getting i was really entertained by speaking with some of the Spartan staff and uh, <laughs> people putting uh putting the event together because they you know things just weren't going as smoothly as possible and uh you know i just had to laugh and just you know yep. yeah just chalk it up to you know this is this is the middle eastern culture it's the culture man yeah that's really it's, funny different different part of the world but um they were laughing because uh you know just n- nothing was going off smoothly like they had <laughs> planned and i just said like hey it's just you just gotta roll the punches that's um, right that's right <laughs>
0: <laughs> so for, for some of our listeners, I'll give you a quick example from some of the military deployments, right? So we'd be going on a raid with the Iraqi army and uh it would be like all right, we're gonna meet you or we be going on like a clearance operation. I was like, We'll meet you here tomorrow morning, zero seven, we'll step off at seven seven fifteen. And they're like they're like, Yes, yes, inshallah. Which means, you know, if God wills it, right? And I'm like, No, no, I will be here at seven and we will step <laughs> off at seven fifteen. They're like, Yeah, yeah, God willing, God willing, we will do that. And I was like no, no, no! Like I'm 100% gonna be here, you know. And then you show up at seven, and no, no one's ready. And you're like, "What the? Fuck? You're like, you're like scrambling, and it's like a yeah. So.
1: Yeah. It's a, yeah. Time is is not the same um, as we as we see in the states, and and then there's also just uh, like everything is a barter.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We're,
1: just, we're just not used to um, in the West. And, um, I got a kick out of, there were supposed to be llamas at the, uh, at the race venue and everyone was asking for the llamas and <clears throat> apparently they had reached a deal, uh, for the llamas to show up. And then, uh, the llama keeper wanted more money, um, <laughs> it came time to execute. So there were no llamas at the venue. Um, and just, you know, a lot of things kind of fell through like that, but, um, even coming from the airport, I uh, I got a cab ride about thirty minutes from the airport to the to the hotel for one rate, and I talked to some of the Canadians who said they paid like almost twice as much as me, just not knowing that you've got a barter. Yeah, like, you know, everyone's going to look to get as much as they can, and uh, it's just you know it's it's expected that you come back. And you guys go back and forth and barter and come to an agreement and that's what you roll with. And if you don't, you're just going to end up paying way more than you really should.
0: Yeah, no, that's true. That's another good example. You know, another another one from some of our, you know, we'd be paying like a, a village leader to pay for his security force, right? And they'd be like, yeah, you know, and then it'd be like, well, I gave you $10,000, but, you know, that all hasn't made it down to the lowest level. And it's like, yeah, well, well, I took like $5,000 off the top and then I I distribute the rest. And it's like, whoa, like you getting $5,000 wasn't part of the deal. He's like, no, no, it's part of the deal. Like, it's just, you know, it's like like they they, they expected people to skim off the top before passing it down. Um, and it was just like, and like everybody knew it was happening and no one seemed to care, right? Versus America, we're like, no, no, this is, you know, this is the amount I'm giving you. And this is, you know, it gets distributed equally below and, you know, yeah, it's just a different world it's um it it, it's i i find it very fun to learn uh some of the nuances and i've got a i'm not gonna tell the whole story on the podcast but i have a great story of kuwaiti culture and before dating before like online and dating apps how they would uh interact and pick up girls uh, because you're not allowed to like you're not allowed to go and meet them you don't have to talk to females in public right so there's they had some very like kind of like Sneaky methods, um, which if you tried in America, you'd probably either get maced or have have the cops called on you. It's a really funny story. So if anyone ever wants to hear that story, uh, hit me up in person. And I will. I will gladly tell it to you. All right, we're gonna get going. Uh, before we go, any uh, quick word? Any uh, sponsors, brands, friends, etc. You want to give a shout out to Mark?
1: Yeah, I mean, really, the the only one now. I'm kind of starting fresh with with some new sponsors um this year so i'm really the only one that i'm, I'm sticking with for right now is, is firefly recovery so um it's a it's a device that really helped me get that swelling out of my legs post-travel and i really should have been wearing them on the flight um, but they're like a device that goes on the side of your leg and just increase the blood flow to your lower leg essentially gives you the same uh, stimulus is walking. Um, so I should have been wearing those on the plane. That's my fault. Um, but I, I put them on the legs when I arrived and, uh, I got my legs to where they, where they could be, um, you know, running at full, full speed on by the time Saturday rolled around. So, so firefighter recovery is, is, uh, is legit. Um, recommend anyone checks those out, um, to promote recovery.
0: Real quick, one follow-up for uh sponsor-related question. So the Spartan Pro team, are they – is that no longer a thing, or were they are they still a thing, but they just have significantly reduced benefits to, from some of the previous years?
1: So I think it's still to be determined at this point. Um, so was it a thing in 2021?
0: Because uh, I, 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 there was some drama, and then I, I, I didn't follow it as closely, and uh, I lost track, to be honest with you. There,
1: there wasn't really a- – official team however our I guess our ben the main benefit of having a, a season pass to race for free um, was extended from 2020 so we all you know we weren't all paying for gotcha um, so for me personally like that's really all I can ask for is if I can just race as much as I want um, at a reduced rate I'm you know I'm happy as can be yeah, uh, but I think there will be a there will be a team in 2022. Um we just don't know what that's gonna look like yet. Um but I think there will be some support um cool. coming in. So hopefully we can we can revive the the program and, and bring it back. Yeah, I think it'd be great. Absolutely.
0: All right, um, we're going to get going. Before we get going, a couple of quick shout outs. Again, make sure you head over to OCR Buddy and drop some votes. Battle of the Lions race, drop some votes for them. Um, OCR World Championships, drop some votes for Hannibal Race, especially. Those, that, uh, those votes uh, for a brand like Hannibal Race really mean a lot. So uh, definitely head over and please give OCR Buddy uh, some votes over there. I'm not sure when voting closes, so as soon as this pub, 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 ah, podcast publishes, make sure you head over there and vote. Two, uh, again, the Mythic Race event. Uh, make sure you head over, one, and check them out. They're going, it's an event going on in April. It's the same week as I'm one of the Infinite Hero Challenge events, so I won't be there. Uh, but if you're in the Midwest and you're not going to Infinite Hero Honor Challenge, you should be going to the Mythic Race uh, put on by William Shell there out in the middle of Missouri. Uh, make sure you donate to his fundraiser and then get a chance to win the OCR Dream Season Pass there. See what else um, on the military front. So I, I was, I wanted to share this news um, last week. So one of the guys I went to a special forces qualification course with, so he was actually in my, on my small team at Robin Sage. Um, he had earned a silver star a couple years ago. It actually just got re or upgraded um, because it was put in as a congressional medal of honor and it got downgraded. Um, it just got switched back. So it is now a congressional medal of honor, which is freaking awesome. And I'm super excited for him. So Earl Plumley, uh, super excited for that. It, like literally made my day. Great guy, who's super fun in Q course, and he had like the funniest story that we used to make him tell all the other instructors because it was like super graphic about some of the, some of the things that happened in his youth. But yeah, congratulations to Earl, and um, yeah, big announcement there. And then finally, I got articles published in, like everywhere. So Mudgear, head over to Mudgear the, in, on their Mudgear blog. I got a first-timers guide to World's Toughest Mudder. I have a World's Toughest Mudder comparison article apparent to other years. And then I've got a wintertime OCRs to get you moving. So a shout-out to some of the events going on in January, including Casey Timber Challenge. If you live in the Kansas City area, if you're further up north, Wisconsin area uh there's abominable snow race which david main and sydney morris are both building for us so about lines staffs heading out there do some builds for ob- abominable snow race in lake geneva wisconsin and then the same weekend uh spartan and tough mudder actually also have races going on but they're i think in socal and in florida i want to say i'm not sure but they're both warmer climates so if you actually want a snow experience casey timber and abominable snow race are the two places you go last weekend in january uh, OCR report, I got uh, two articles over there, uh, what happens to you physically after 24 hours of OCR and what happens to you mentally after 24 hours of OCR, so that's a fun one to read. I used some of my experience from the 15-ish or so 24-hour OCR events I've done, and about, I don't know, about 10 other other OCR events I've done, uh, ultra-OCR events I've done to kind of share some of my input for that. And then on top of that, OCR buddy, I got some articles over there now. Well, First ones up, it was uh, just talking about the Rugged Maniac experience. So Rugged Maniacs has a multi-lab experience called Rugged X. It's a quick article on that. And then a quick guide to play out. So if anyone's looking for some stocking stuffers, you can head over to play out. Since you have their cards that you can you know flip over and it tells you what exercise to do. Uh, it's scalable, so it's got like an easy, medium, and hard. And you can, you know, I do it with my daughter who's six. We cut it down to like a, a third of what you're supposed to do. And we just have a little bit of fun and get moving. All right. Other than that, head over to teamstrengthspeed.com. Also have articles up there. So one strength and speed development team is now open applications for 2022. So if anyone's looking to get some access to some, uh, you know, expert advice, physical therapist, nutritionist, physical trainers, and some free stuff from strength and speed, I do have some season, not season passes. I do have some race entries that I need to give away at some point this year. So I'll be giving them out to the strength and speed team you can head over to um, our website and the blog, and there's information on how to apply through that. And then finally, obviously, on the website, there is uh, access or links to all my books, digital and hard copy, uh, including yeah. Ultra OCR Man for Special force Sor- Soldier Directed Setting Professional Obstacle Racer, and Blegmits are available. I have another set of extremes that should be here any day now. So, um, and then obviously the lights, small, medium, and large are all available. And then finally, if you want to poke around the website, there is a sneak peek on my newest book, which is coming out in 2022, and it actually has Mark's name in there and some of his quotes, which he doesn't even know about, and I'm telling him now for the first time. So, Mark, I'll shoot those over to you sometime in the next couple of weeks to make sure uh, it meets your approval and uh, your uh, information will go in there,
1: too. Man, that's awesome. I look forward to it.
0: All right. Uh, sorry to talk for a while. Mark, thanks again for squeezing me in. And we will uh, catch you in
1: 2022. Yeah, thanks again for having me. Always, Always a good time. All right.